0: Hello, this is your host Sunita Bagri. I am the founder of the Every Teacher Matters project. Welcome to the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. Each podcast has a core focus around the well-being of our teachers, school leaders and educational staff.
1: The Teach Well Alliance works proudly in partnership with the Every Teacher Matters Network to raise awareness of well-being and mental health for our teachers and school staff. We're so pleased that you're able to join us on today's podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. I'm delighted, absolutely ecstatic to be sitting here virtually with Hannah Wilson today, who I'm shortly going to introduce. Just before I do that, I want to bring the listeners attention to the news this week which um, obviously unless you've been sitting in a cave somewhere you will have come to know that the guidance for schools to reopen for March the 8th is in full swing. A couple of points in the Schools Week uh, article this week is around attendance being mandatory for all pupils, further testing in secondary schools for COVID vaccinations Face coverings, Um, some of this is all being repeated and we've been there before, but let's go through it anyway. Considering staggered starts or adjusting the finish times, but not at a cost to teaching time. Ensuring close contacts must self-isolate. Changing the definition of an outbreak features. No rotor or class size reductions. And those that are clinically vulnerable, either whether they are pupils or staff to stay away. Targeting pupils and parents who are anxious about return, providing meals as usual, remote education requirements still in force, resume wraparound provision and um, something that I'm leaving the best, the best, the worst to last, I don't know, I'll let you be the judge of it, but routine Ofsted inspections to resume in the summer term. Well, I don't know how the listeners are feeling about that. I've certainly got my views, which maybe I'll I'll explore with, with, with Hannah today as well. I'm going to introduce listeners to Hannah. She's a dynamic leader who is passionate about diversity, inclusion and equality. She's a commitment to developing a diverse and flexible workforce, particularly by empowering underrepresented groups to become school leaders. Now, this is just a very small part of the simply phenomenal work that she does and the difference she has made to education and continues to make to our education system. I was saying to Hannah off air, I've probably been waiting around two years to speak to this very talented lady. So I'm simply delighted to have her as our guest today on the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for such a lovely, warm welcome. Oh, absolute pleasure. I I do mean that. What's your view Hannah? let's start with um your view on the um routine inspections taking place from Singapore.
1: i' well I, i'm I'm guessing that some people are justifying their salaries and their jobs at the moment um I think I'm all one for accountability and, and healthy quality assurance, but I think there's a lot of other priorities for time energy and resource at the moment um and I've heard some shocking stories during lockdown about um offset inspections i've heard some good stories as well actually but i have heard a, a lot of stories i just think are we not under enough pressure as it is
0: yeah absolutely my, my sentiments exactly hannah i've given the listeners a, a you know a quick introduction of you but i know that there's so much more there so just by your own in your own words tell us about you you and your background and your experience
1: Okay well the, kind of the short summary is I was a teacher for 20 years. Um, I trained as a, a teacher of English drama and media studies and I spent most of my career 15 years um, working in academies in South London, very diverse um, schools working for some of the bigger maths um, and everyone kept saying when you're going to be a head teacher and being a head teacher wasn't necessarily part of my career plan but my head did say to me one day why are you working so hard then? Why like why why are you pushing yourself on so much we don't want to be ahead? And that was a bit of a wake-up call, I guess. Um, about six years ago, I co-founded Women Ed. So um, I very much joined the grassroots space because of my... Um, I didn't see I didn't see female role models in the system who I wanted to be like um, and I was working in very patriarchal um, male heavy um, schools and, and trusts and, and I really was looking for creating that support network around me of other female leaders. So that's where I kind of um, joined Twitter and got involved in the kind of the grassroots and then off the back of um, Women and lots of conversations around intersectionality as opposed to single issue um, diversity, equity, inclusion. And just through the networking I'd done through that space, that's how diverse ed came about. It was kind of parallel to me leaving London, becoming a head teacher of a startup school, um, recruiting a very diverse team, and having conversations, very open conversations with my staff about the need for a more holistic intersectional approach to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And like two of my passions are, are diversity, but also mental health and well-being and looking at the intersect between those two spaces as well. Um, so that's when we started Diverse Ed as a, as a hashtag, as an annual event, um, three years ago now. Um, and then fast forward to me leaving Headship um, and thinking about what my next iteration was going to be. I actually spent a year in a university running teacher training. Um, and then I decided that actually the things I really care about I want to be doing independently. So the, for the last year I've been going through that transition, which I know you've been through yourself. Like when your identity is so wrapped up in the job you do, um, and doing I've had a lot of coaching, and I've now trained to coach, and really thinking about like my personal professional identity, what I care about, what I want to be leading with, where I can have impact, what brings me joy, how I can add value to the system without being in the system. So I've kind of navigated all of those internal external pieces in the last year and my final thought really is I think the things I care about are very much at the forefront at the moment so I mean it was interesting timing me me leaving a salaried secure safe role in April as the pandemic struck thinking oh my gosh what have I done um but actually there's so many opportunities right now and and there's a need for extra support in these spaces so um it's exciting to be able to see that I can add value but in a different way
0: Absolutely. There's a lot there that you say, you know, I resonate with too. But I think also when we're in schools and you're in a role, you can become quite secular in a way. And I think coming out out of it, doesn't it open your eyes to the opportunities that you just spoke about?
1: institutionalized I think is the word. Um, I've definitely been institutionalized um, and and I've become a bit of a robot in all honesty. Like I'm not a robotic person for those people who do know me. I'm very so, like humanistic and values led, but like so institutionalized about like, even my body clock, like I woke up at half five every morning for 20 years. I had lunch at half 12 every day for 20 years. Like you, you do become quite machine-like. And I think that disassociating yourself from the professional identity that's so wrapped up in who you are, mm-hmm. um, and thinking about like what you care about and what you want to be doing. I, I do think so many teachers diminish or devalue the, the cross-curricular transferable skills we have. Like, we, like th- there are skills that teachers have honed over years that other industries and sectors really need. And I'm not here trying to encourage people to leave teaching. I, I loved working in schools for 20 years. I don't think I could have sustained it at the pace I was working at for another 20 years. Um, So it's been an interesting couple of years, just evolving and, and reflecting and, and I I don't know, in some ways kind of like finding Hannah again, in the identity that had perhaps been projected onto me.
0: Mm, Yeah, I, I know that I mean, what you're saying is resonating with me, but I'm sure it'll be resonating with so many of our listeners right now quite often when you know I'm speaking with teachers and we're kind of going through this everything that you just described in terms of you know disassociating your identity from the professional one it just becomes a very you're just going along aren't you with this sort of tidal wave after tidal wave and not having the opportunity to know who you are it's such an important um discovery self-discovery um, and it's
1: so all-consuming and I think people who have vocational careers it's so. I think we talk so much about work-life balance and education and boundaries and self-care, um, and it's so hard, I think, sometimes to to establish and to reinforce those boundaries when, actually, the things that are making us busy and tired and stretched are the really important things like safeguarding like yes. I honestly as a head teacher i would be on the phone in my office at nine o'clock on a friday night ringing the police yes. talking to social care yes. like i couldn't go home at five o'clock even though i wanted to because there was work to be done and and, and, I, and i had a brilliant team they were also working ridiculous hours but i think it's that reality check sometimes about just how much the system expects from teachers yes. and we give and we give and we give and then we snap and um, I've seen lots of my peers friends cause I'm 41 teaching for 20 years lots of my girlfriends have like, had a family had a career and it's just kind of like, got to that state of overwhelm
0: yeah absolutely agree 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 with everything that you've said there same I see the same with you know I'm older than you so I see the same in my peer group as well Genuinely, people that are still wanting to give so much but have such little for their own energy reserves, and and that's why we're doing the work that we're doing ultimately in that space to be able to support our colleagues and give back. So, what would you say, Hannah? Um, is the I you know I have some understanding of diverse educators, but can you tell us what your mission is there? Because again, you know, being um, from the BME community myself, I feel and I've said this to you off air and I'm, more than happy to share how inspired I am by you and your mission and as somebody who, who I know I have the, um, the ability and the capacity to be a really good BME leader and I've, I've been that you know I'm, I'm personally quite invested in your mission so tell the listeners a bit more about that please. So like Women Ed started because of that grassroots community and, and,
1: I, and I've, I've got some very good friends now who I met through Twitter through grassroots events six years ago but I think the conversations have moved forward to think about a more intersectional approach to diversity equity and inclusion um and going back like four years when i was running um a, a teaching school for one of the big trusts and i bid for some of the equality diversity grants that was when my eyes really opened and just sitting in rooms and listening to 60 70 bme leaders sharing some quite harrowing experiences working in diverse schools in south london and as the only white person in the room quite a lot of the time i've had my i've had my eyes and ears opened to and I wasn't naive mm. but to, when you're hearing it at scale when you're hearing it on mass like that and I think I I've always just positioned myself as an advocate as an as an ally and I think I've been on quite an introspective journey over the last five years about my about my own privilege and yes I started women ed championing the fact that we had gender inequalities and, and gender pay gaps and and the system wasn't there that was female heavy not all the policies looked after women but actually I had to check myself on that because I'm six foot one I'm straight I'm able-bodied I haven't got kids actually like I have had quite an easy ride considering compared to perhaps some of my other female peers and then sitting in those spaces listening to women of colour women who are LGBTQI women with disabilities um it, it has just held that mirror up I guess to me to consider whether or not I'm part of the problem. And I think that's a real epiphany um, when you realise that you are part of the problem, you have been part of the problem, you have perhaps been an obstacle or barrier for other people. And when women had first started, there were a lot of BAME men saying, what about us? Like, who, like, who's here to support us? So actually, I've diversified the work I'm doing, the conversation I'm having, where it's not just about women, it's about people with lived experiences, lived experiences and protected characteristics whereby they are they are treated differently and the system expects differently and, and, and the doors are shut on them and i and i guess how i position myself is that because i am a, a connector and a collaborator and i've got a big network um and i i get invited to, to contribute to a lot of events and, and things like that i leverage that and I use that to challenge other people. And I think it was, it was, I could do it as a head, but it's easier to do now. not a not ahead because I haven't got a organization who I'm accountable for. I'm accountable to myself. I've set myself up as an independent person, but I've spent the 20 years building those relationships and, and building that profile. So I have got credibility, there's, there's lots of people with credibility in this space, but I have got credibility to be able to challenge things and have those conversations. But when I talk to the women of colour who I do a lot of work with, I'm very aware that the the profile I have and the conversations I have are different to the ones that they can have. Or So that's, that's a constant um, conversation I'm having with the people who I work closest with, um, being aware of the fact that have I got more followers on Twitter because I'm white like i know amazing bane head teachers with the same cv as me but they haven't got as many followers as me they don't get asked to speak at events like me so so i think it's that constant checking myself and that constant just sharing what i hear in an anonymous anonymous way but also challenging and disrupting and championing either the system that's enforcing it or the people who are being marginalised because of it. Mm. Um, so it's, it's evolving, in all honesty. Like, initially, it was a hashtag, it was an annual event. Um, people kept saying, where's the website? Where do you going to have a the website? Um, and really, the website, it went live in September because, because of what happened with George Floyd in the summer and the knee-jerk reaction from the school system to DEI and people suddenly making a lot of noise and big commitments and, and a lot of hot air. I spoke to a few people, I said, like, if we don't do the website now, either it's we're gonna miss the opportunity to have influence or someone else is gonna do it it's not gonna it's not gonna be right not really my vision for it yeah. um I, we spent the time doing this and and collating it and, and and like we we started the website in september with 50 organizations listed i think we're at 120 now mm-hmm. um and, and that's exciting to be able to signpost amazing people when i do a call out for blogs now i think i've had 20 blogs sent to me this week like so so, so the traction and the momentum that's being built um that's what brings me joy and a sense of purpose but i can see that it's making a difference for for other people
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I really, really, you know, um, I feel quite enlightened. I feel quite inspired again. And just listening to, you know, what you're doing, it takes, you know, just take a level of deep self-reflection. And it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy to, to be that person that acts as a bridge, as you so well described there. So, so thank you, Hannah. Um, I, I, it's a much needed role, a much needed role by somebody like yourself, so I do, I, I hope that I represent other, you know, BME leaders in thanking you for from what you've just shared there. Hannah, just moving on slightly, I just want you to reflect back into your, you know, your teaching career now, and tell us about a time, you know, where you were most greatly challenged, what was your biggest challenge, and how did you overcome that? I've got so many so many stories of when I've been
1: challenged okay well I might give you two I give you one as a teacher and one as a leader so Dreen as a teacher I think one of my biggest challenges was actually in my NQT year where I trained in a really difficult school. I was down in Kent, selective system. Um, I'd been sent to the worst school, one of the worst schools in Kent. It, it was pretty harrowing, pretty horrific. Um, and at that point, I was like, "Oh my gosh! Like, is this teaching? Like, this isn't really like teaching." So I'd then taken a job in the convey con- contrast. I ended up working in the grammar school for my NQT year, and everyone was lovely. But the the pressure on the teachers for the results and the pressure on the students for the results. I got given um, tops at year 11 for GCC English, and these lads would knock out 4,000 word essays, and I'd mark them, and they would redo them to get one more mark, one more percentage. <laughs> I can remember saying to one, one boy, I'm not going to say his name, but I can, I, can, I can still visualize him. I said to him, I really appreciate your tenacity, but I've now marked this essay five times. You've got up 4%. I can't just keep remarking these essays like i was literally drowning in marking um and the pressure that they put on themselves and the pressure they felt being in the grammar school and the pressure their families put on them and it was an interesting one because it was a it was a grammar school that was selected based on maths and science but they actually really struggled in english so my my, my top set english class actually there was a couple of them who were gifted but they, they didn't find literacy in english easy so i guess because they were getting the top schools in maths and science so what um like what happened to me was my workload completely imploded i was marking every night all weekends um and it it became too much and it and it made me unwell because i mean like like a lot of um teachers and english teachers were perfectionists and i wanted to do right by the children but like, how many times do you remark a piece of work? Mm. So I ended up going to the doctors. I ended up being given antidepressants and being signed off for a couple of weeks because it just it just became completely overwhelming. And I'm a really resilient person, and I've got a very strong work ethic, and I'm very good at saying no. And that and that that situation in my NQT year did really sort of like put a lot of pressure on me. And I think it's something for us to think about with our early career teachers about how we help them create those healthy habits, those healthy routines, those healthy boundaries, how we help them manage their workload. So like as a as a, a, a mentor and a coach, then so I, I've led um, NQT programs and RQT programs. I think one of the first things I always do is get people to think about their diaries, think about their workload, their energy management, their time management, and teach them some sort of like life skills to actually map it all out because it can become overwhelming, overwhelming so quickly
0: absolutely right absolutely absolutely agree with you it's that personal development skills that you know they're not they're not there in in what we're teaching our trainees and and that's something i feel very quite passionate about myself so using that experience thank you for sharing that experience and again being so candid with us about it what um would you say with the wealth of experience your personal experience you you know obviously there's a real um, crossover there in what you described in terms of your own interest in well-being and mental health and as you know the aim of our um, Every Teacher Matters network is to promote that so what advice would you give to um, a teacher what well-being advice would you give?
1: Specifically to that I think thinking about workload I think it's clarifying expectations I think back then I don't think there was clarity around um, like marketing expectations feedback expectations so it felt like an endless task whereas I've then been like, I've been I've led teaching and learning at schools and as a deputy as a head we've looked at like what's a reasonable expectation for marking so I so I guess my my advice there is twofold like firstly to the teachers like thinking about the habits you form the boundaries you form but also about communicating how you're feeling about your workload but then to the leaders whether it's a middle leader as a kind of a, a curriculum lead phase lead or whether it's to a senior leader like really reviewing the marking policy because I think quite often the marking policy is being led by someone who hasn't got a full teaching timetable. Mm. And the the more senior you get, the less, the less teaching and marking you do. And I was a teaching head, I, I, I've, I've, I believe that you should always have some teaching because I am then knowing what I'm asking or my team are asking of the staff. Yeah. And I taught all of the year was drama when I was a head teacher. And I chose drama because there's less marking, and that's me being really honest. I, I, the planning and the marking, the behaviour management kept me busy, but I couldn't have I couldn't have sustained the English marking a ahead. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something there about expectations both ways and the communication. Um, and if you are a teacher who's feeling overwhelmed with your workload or your marking load, raising it before before something gives, because we tend to ignore it, put our head in the sand, and wait. And then it becomes so much bigger and so much harder to navigate, mm-hmm. whereas asking for help like this, we've got this thing haven't we, about not asking for help and not asking for support mm-hmm. and I think giving people the heads up earlier on yes. and being honest about, about how we're doing and like I've had, I've had um, usually young male NQTs or RQTs come to me and say, Hannah, I'm just feeling the world, can you help me work, my, work out my workload, my marking routine? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people just need a
0: bit of help with like mapping out all yes. the things they've been asked to do right that's right that's golden advice golden advice enforcing boundaries early, early as possible, early uh, as possible and um, yeah absolutely again it comes down to some of those personal development skills so that's been wonderful really good advice Hannah on a final note then Hannah how can our listeners get in touch with you how can they follow you on social media any any sort of social media handles plus um, access to your website please share
1: I've got a few I've got a few social media handles for your choices so personally I've got my own Twitter handle ethical underscore leader and that's how I blog Um, and I've got my own website Hannah, um, Hannah Wilson, but then if you're interested in diversity equity inclusion please do follow diverseed 2020 or the hashtag Diverse Ed and then Diverse Educators to the website. Um, and we have a monthly newsletter you can sign up for. We promise not to spam you. It's once a month, second Wednesday. Um, and we signpost normally loads of free stuff. Um, there's, so, there's so much amazing stuff happening around DEI. Um, we just try to signpost and amplify blogs and training and events and opportunities to come together
0: brilliant thank you Hannah I would encourage the listeners to follow Hannah if you're not already and do check out the the website and the amazing work that you do Hannah we wish you all the very best in your continued work and I look forward to being updated with all the amazing work that you're doing thank you so much for joining us today thank you for inviting me Anita thank you